If you want it, baby, I can show ya. If you want it, I can get to know ya. If you want it, baby, I can show ya. If you want it, baby, I can show ya. Let me explain as I'm taking it off. Let me explain how I feel about us. If you want it, baby, I can show ya. I can show ya. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Sperm Donation World. Today, fresh from his uh, Inside Edition TV debut from Scottsdale, Arizona, we have Tyree Kelly. How are you today, Tyree? I'm doing good. And yourself? I'm not bad. I'm pretty good. And, uh, you know, how did you feel about the Inside Edition? And was it fun? Did you feel that they should have released the uh, unedited version of the whole conversation? Yeah, I think we didn't get a lot of cross from what they did release. Um, I think they should have released a lot more because there was a lot more information. There was a lot more context to our discussion than what was released. And it kind of didn't it kind of didn't leave a good taste in my mouth with how it was all laid out because there was a lot of stuff. Um, that we talked about that was skipped completely over and I believe that information was would have been useful for other people and then today we get to speak about it a bit more in depth now because um, yes you're right it did a lot to get cut out there was a lot of good information that was shared between all of us I felt uh, and it would have painted a, a really good story for people to see and I feel that the but, you know, it was why it was good to put it on the platform and and show us in that it, it did feel like it was a cheap and downwarded version of the whole experience because it didn't really showcase some of the stuff we were talking about and saying and and reasons behind it to confirm, I'd say, uh, the, the, the legitimacy of it all. And, uh, you know, the way it was um, broadcast was like a quick here, check this out, blah, 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 blah. And then it was over with and people were, people were like watching it going, well, I didn't have time to process this and I didn't get really too much information on the logistics of how everything works and has actually happened. One thing they talked about to you was about, was your upbringing. Tell us a bit about yourself and how you became the man who you are today and, and, your, and your, how your family is. Um, well, I'm born and raised Atlantic City, New Jersey. Um, moved out of there, I want to say, after like 19 years. Uh, end up having kids when I was 17. I had my first daughter when I was 17 years old. Early father. I was a real young father. Other than that, I've just been working, taking care of my kids, moving traveling seeing the world I grew up with without a silver spoon in my mouth uh, later down the road I end up finding out who my biological father was and that I am one of 25 kids wow so that's quite amazing I mean at what age did you find out that you had so many siblings and and how did you grow up in terms of being raised and and not I'm guessing you didn't know who your father was or you had some idea who he was, but you didn't have any contact with him. How, how was that all that for you processing growing up? Well, me finding out who my father was, was a whole process. It was a whole indoor, whole situation. 
So at first we had me and my my mother had told me it was another guy. We never went and got DNA tests done. Uh, but my biological father had signed my birth certificate, and the courts had issued my uh, biological father, who was the guy who signed the birth certificate, to come for DNA tests. Uh, once we got the results back, it was kind of a shock for everyone that he was my actual father because he's 30 years older than my mother. So how old is he now? Is he still alive? No, unfortunately, he um, he passed a few years ago. Uh, I believe he would have been 74. Yep. He been 74 years old. You know, did you have questions like, you know, the person that you thought was your biological father, was there a bit of, you know, was there, was there something? No, I'm saying me and him, we, we still talked. He was still there and all because just because you're not my biological father don't mean you're not a father. And he was there for not the majority of my youth, but he was there. He was the father figure that. I had or was missing when my actual biological father wasn't there. And how did you come across all your siblings? How many have you connected with? Is there 25 that you know of? Do you feel there could still be more out there? I mean, it sounds like your uh, father was a bit of a rolling stone, um, as you put it. Uh, yeah, my father was exactly a rolling stone. Um, so there was 25 that we know of. Um, we just found a brother of ours. He's older than me, but he's he's going to be the second youngest boy because I'm the youngest boy. And we found him, I want to say, about five to six years ago, like a year or two before my father passed. We ended up finding him. And how was your connection with your father? You reach out. Did you have some point of relationship before he passed? You know, what was his story? Did he, um, was he proud to have, you know, 25 children that he knows of? Uh, did you feel a good connection with him, a good vibe with him? Was it, you know, was there people, was there siblings that felt uncomfortable that they had 25 siblings? Now, all of our, like, all of my siblings so far, we all seem pretty well-rounded. Uh, mind you, most of my siblings are older than my mother, so that just put things into context. Um, everybody's well older and mature enough to the point where everybody put their big boy pants on and like, hey, listen, you gotta, you got some extra siblings? Okay, let's make the best of our situation. Um, so most of my siblings, they feel somewhat the same exact like how I feel. Um, only thing we can do is make the best of the situation that's at hand. I mean, in a way, it's, you know, people that are donor conceived might disagree, but in a way, it's very similar to being donor conceived, isn't it? Having siblings that you never grew up with, never knew, uh, effectively all strangers, and then you've come together, uh, you know, you're still potentially finding more siblings out there, which is the case with a lot of clinics and stuff like that, where, you know, they sign up to these uh DNA test places or websites and, you know, new people join and then they're linked up. You know, can you relate to that being sort of like a being a donor conceived person and, and then sort of seeing it now as a donor, how re relationships and perceptions of uh, the children you helped get born today or, or yesterday or, you know, in the, 
you know, the, this course have you been donating? Do you see it as a similar experience that they might grow up being involved with? So like my feelings towards donor conceive people are kind of mixed because it's like, no matter what, you have to do the best you can with the situation at hand. All right, you don't know your father. I didn't know my father neither. Um, I didn't grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth. I've been working since 16, became a young father, and yet I look at the world as my oyster. Um, you got to make the best decisions for you, and you cannot allow certain things to hold you back. And I understand not knowing your father can, can put some type of strain on some type of development, I guess. But me personally, going through the situation I've been through, I personally can say that me growing up with father, father helped, I mean, hurt a little bit, but it didn't stop me from moving forward. And uh, so with my donor conceive kids I have out there, I have a Facebook group for them. So majority of them are inside this Facebook group. So they can also share and uh, possibly set up a play date further down the road where regular donor conceived kids can't do because they don't know who their who their siblings are so this is a better option for the donor conceived kids that I do help so I don't feel as though I have a bad or I'm putting the kids in a bad situation with them being donor conceived see a lot of people can't imagine you know the thing is people can only envision how their family is or how many cousins they are now there's men out there that, you know, been donating for a few years and, you know, there's women out there that purposely pick men who have multiple children because they, they tend to come from a large family themselves so they actually know what it's like and the joys of having, you know, the ability to ring up someone. Like, say, I, I really want to go to this show this weekend and you ring up one or two brothers that you might have and they're like, oh, sorry, mate, I'm busy. But when you've got 25 of them to ring up and say, hey, I am want to go to the show this week, I'm sure you can find someone that really wants to go with you and, and it fills that void of allowing you to go to places and experience life with people. Do you find that having that amount of siblings that you have, 25, isn't an issue? Like, you know, has it given, once you've been able to divulge all that information and, and all that, uh, you know, do you feel that's a good thing, you know, that you can reach out and speak to anyone at any time, that there's someone available? Yeah, having more options in that aspect, I think is a great thing. Because let's say you have a small family, it's you, your mom, your father, and let's say you have a sister or a brother. You, your brother and your sister, y'all are not cool. You had a falling out with your parents. Now, that leaves you with nobody. But let's say if you have a huge family like, like mine, you have 25 siblings, at least one of them you're going to be close to, at least one of them. So you can always count on that one person. And uh, not saying you can't count on more, but I'm just saying you have a bigger chance, a higher chance of having a strong connection, at least with one of them. So what you were saying that uh, that you can always call on somebody, I think that is a higher chance when you have more. 
of a, um, you have more of a selection. See, you know, there's many people that have one or two siblings, you know, from, a, I guess, um, a more traditional size family. I mean, in modern times, the last generation has been um, typically an average of two to three children, whereas, you know, the previous generations in the early 90s, um, 1900s, um, you know, people, it was quite common for people to have five plus children. And, uh, you know, and now as the economy um, becomes more tighter and all that sort of stuff and the cost of living goes up, people tend to be having uh, smaller size families. But the comprehension of people growing up is, is yeah, their inability to realise that, um, you know, you don't, just because someone's related to you by blood doesn't mean you have to be ringing up 25 people every single day, you know, like, you know, a lot of uh, these groups that are in larger families with the internet these days, they have that ability to uh, have a group chat, which they can all sit there and, and chat and, and communicate in when, when they're free. And, you know, one day there might be 10 available and, uh, and the next day there might be another five or six um, that are checking in, you know, around their life. I mean, life is so hectic and with technology these days, it really allows um, to uh, facilitate these sort of, these types of families. And uh, it's, you know... I really don't see it as a bad thing unless, you know, there's a lot of siblings out there that are unaccounted for. If they're all accounted for and you're on this group, um, you know, what is the big difference? You know, is there, is there, you know, is there a reason to be upset? You know, is that, you know, would you, what would you say, Tyree, if you had 50 siblings, you know, would that, would that change your perception is, or would that even be better? Um. It wouldn't make things worse. <laughs> so having 50, 50 siblings will not make things worse. And it's ironic that you had mentioned this topic because I recently had a conversation with one of my recipients, one of my successful recipients. Um, she was a little concerned about how many children I was going to have. So, so that was like a huge thing we had discussed about and because uh, she was concerned about her child having a bunch of siblings because she's been in these donor conceived groups and people don't understand that donor conceived groups or donor conceived people are slightly different than what we're doing. The difference is that they know who we are. I leave my door open so if they want to contact me anytime. Uh, in regards to the child or if the child want to contact me any age, I'm open to that. And also we have, I have a group, like most big donors have a group with majority or a good portion of their recipients that are inside the group. So I think a lot of people get things mixed up because they go into these groups and hear and see and read studies but nobody have ever done a study about a known donor conceived child on a mass scale. From your observation, uh, joining these groups yourself and looking into it and observing these people, are you finding similarities that, you know, all these children are not finding out who their father is to like an X amount of time or their father's told them that I'm not interested in speaking to you and and uh, are you finding there's a trend that they're all born from a clinic? Yeah, a lot of them seem like they're coming off as if they were born in a clinic, they've been deprived because they didn't have a father. Um, 
and so forth and so on and then a bunch of siblings like I don't want to necessarily seem like I'm bashing them because by far I am not but I'm just saying like a lot of people in this world in a monogamous relationship when that relationship ends one person may go one way and the other person may go the other way and that child may still never end up knowing meeting or doing anything with their biological father but yet they live a prosperous life what's the difference from that and you being a donor conceived child that goes back to our original uh, subject we was talking about making the best out of the situation that you uh making the best out of the the cards that that you have in your hand so if if you say oh i don't have a father i grew up me personally i grew up without a father I I made the best of it. And on some of these conversations or some of these posts I've seen where their whole life is strung on not having a father. Some things you got to put, not necessarily on a back burner, but it can't be your priority uh, subject where you always put all your focus on. Because when negativity, which that is, mm-hmm you can't, will destroy any positivity. So if you're going to keep dwelling on not having a father, you can never move forward. And with me, I've moved forward past that. And when I end up finding out my father, I end up creating a relationship with my father. Even though he wasn't there, like majority of all my childhood, I still got to know him. Uh, We grew a good relationship. I got to meet my siblings, who, mind you, are my mom's age or older. Like, when I go see them, I go hang out with my nieces and nephews, and they are older than me. (laughs) So, like, yeah, like, you got to make the best that you have. And some people try, it seems like some people, they don't. They just get stuck on the aspect of that they're a donor and never had a father. If you could pick the way you were born, you know, the family that you were brought into, would you have it any other way? I would say no, because I am the person who I am because of how I was raised. I have the great heart that I do have because how I was raised. I'm the person who I am today is because how I was raised. If I change that, is a chance I can lose all of that. You know, you look at these groups that you were just talking about, and obviously you've gone in there to have a look just to see how people are feeling as well. And and for me, I was a big part of my um, research and looking into the psychology because when I wanted to help families, I wanted to make sure I was doing it right and to um, mitigate these, um, these things from uh, a child feeling this way. And... What I firstly looked at was how many people are born through clinics and IVF. Um, You know, in America alone, they believe there's up to 75,000 people per year being conceived via via a clinic, so through um, donor sperm and stuff like that. And that's not even taking into, uh, you know, across the world of Europe and, you know, um, Denmark and all those Viking um, clinics that uh, mass produce and send out vials of sperm to everywhere around the world. 
And, you know, what I found is, is if there's 75,000 people born in the United States alone, and these groups have only got 2,000 people in it, that represents a real minuscule proportion of people who are feeling this way. Now, it's not to say that their feelings aren't legit or that they're not entitled to those feelings. They certainly are entitled to feel how they feel. But what it shows to me is, is that these people are a real small minority that feel this way. So then you look into it, and I try to speak to many of these people, and a lot of these people were really bitter, closed-minded. They couldn't comprehend online donation. Uh, they thought everything was bad, 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 bad. You couldn't reason with them. And I just found, in general, that they were a community that were probably introverted or lack of personality, that, um, you know, they're not outgoing or not embracing, you know, uh, you know, they don't have that social aspect to them to want to um, enjoy the relationship and company of uh, that many, um, you know, uh, potential siblings and potential connections and friendships they could make from it. And they've all confided in each other. And when one says, let's go attack this person, they all jump aboard and, and attack another person because for them, that is their social network. It's their, their safe circle that they feel... You know, this person feels like me, I can relate to them. And then they go on and, you know, they make themselves um, uh, create a presence that is actually bigger than what, you know, what the numbers compared to the percentage of people born represents. You know, it's a, it's a small minority speaking out loud in a number to get their point across, which is not really reflective of how most donor conceived people feel. Mm. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah. So in that aim, that same aspect of or analogy, what you're saying is like if you have a, a support group for for college kids that's been through a bullying. If you start questioning the kids that's in there to do a survey, majority of the kids that's in there or the majority of the people that's going to do the survey are people who's been bullied. Not saying, hey, listen, everybody else in there are supporting them or in there as support. Like I'm in these donor conceived groups as support, but majority of the people in there, like you said, are people who, who are looking for an outlet to vent because they, they don't have certain uh, social skills to move forward in life. Uh, to move past this fact that they're a donor child. Um, and a, a lady had just made a post, I think it was yesterday or today or yesterday, in regards to um, all of these negative posts people keep posting about being a donor conceived person. And she had stated, I don't feel like, I don't want to be like biased or anything, but I had a great life. I didn't know who my father was. I knew I was a donor conceived child. And she, she was scared that the community would turn on her because she had a good life, a happy life, even though she didn't know who her father was and she's a donor conceived person. So for her to make an entire post 
to highlight to other people, hey, listen, um, about the situation, uh, to highlight that she didn't want necessarily backlash and everything, that just speaks volumes of the type of people that are actually in the group that are actually posting, because I think most of the people that sit around and just wall watch or read or maybe comment here and there or like a post here and there are people who actually had a great life or at least not great, but a good life growing up, even though they're a donor conceived person. But majority of the people that make these posts in regards to how they feel, uh, how they how they raised how they was raised, how being a donor conceived person ruins their life. I think those are the people that you are saying that necessarily that may not have the full aspect of social skills to get, get past that or uh, brainstorming skills to find something else to focus on to move past that. They seem like they're stuck on that aspect of being a donor conceived child. I'm not a therapist, but that's what it seems like to me. And uh, especially from my aspect of technically speaking, being somewhat of a donor conceived person in a sense. It's, it's, yeah, it's really hard to dissect, you know, on a service level, you come in and you just see this, um, this culture that's embedded in this group and they all feel like they have to agree and post. And then if someone, yeah, it's a big thing for someone to um, do, come up forward and, and go against the grain. And I found it, you know, interesting because I'd observe people join and I'd see some people leave and I'd message them and say, you know, how come you aren't a part of this um, Don't Conceive group anymore? And it says, well, I am Don't Conceived. I joined the group and it was just so much negativity, you know, and it wasn't, yeah, as you said, it didn't represent their life experience. And they just felt, well, I no longer need to be a part of such negativity. So I think it's sort of the vibe of the person, uh, the personality and, and their outlook towards life and their upbringing, you know, their upbringing of, you know, a lot of these people feel from the parents that raised them, um, they felt like they were lied to, like purposely or weren't told they were donor conceived. So they didn't know their origin. That came a big surprise to them. So they feel like, you know, the Truman Show, with Jim Carrey back in years ago where, you know, he was being filmed and his whole life was fake and actors were around him to, um, you know, so, you know, the sense of um, being unreal. And, and I emphasise with them, because we haven't walked each other's path. Um, but, yeah, my personality is, is I always think, all right, well, if I've got 25 siblings, if I've got 40 siblings, how can I utilise this? You know, I've seen people um, in those groups say they use the parents used uh, a sperm bank that ships internationally. So they've got children and all, um, not children, or um, siblings Sibling. in um all other countries across the world in different time zones. And they're complaining about not being in the same time zone. And I thought, well, that is really silly because, you know, you know, sometimes there might be, you know, you go through many stages in life and uh, me especially because I'm uh, interviewing a lot of Americans for these podcasts that I do. So I'm up at all sorts of hours and times <laughs> um, doing it. And 
for me, uh, you know, but, you know, there's times when you might have a lot on your mind and you can't sleep that night, you know, or, and, and to have someone that's awake when you're up late and you just need someone to talk to, I mean, that is, you know, that is um, a blessing, isn't it? To have that option that someone's awake to listen to you talk when you're, you know, got something on your mind or something that you want to get off your chest and having that person that's sort of uh, connected to you um, in a way that you feel comfortable and speaking with and, and, and being through the same, you know, uh, situation and sort of similar upbringing. That is, is something to be seen as an advantage rather than a disadvantage. Like, I mean, for someone to process that, oh, because they're not in the same time zone as me, that's a, a big thing. And then you've got that ability of, well, you know, um, if you like travelling, you know, if someone likes traveling and they like holidaying and seeing different parts of the world, it's a good excuse to go and travel to that country to meet that person. And they probably, you know, um, you probably lodge for them when they come over to see you and uh, that, you know, they'll probably um, host you when you go over there. You know, it, it adds so much or, you know, be able to go around and then take you out in the car and travel you around, you know, in the area and tell you what's good and what, you know, what represents them and their culture and their upbringing and sort of stuff like that. I mean, for me, that would be amazing to have that, uh, you know, that connection with someone, uh, you know, and I, you know, why people can say it's a bad thing. Uh, you could arguably say as someone like myself, I could be quite envious that I don't have these connections. Yeah, I guess I feel that because I would love to be able to travel somewhere and know somebody there. Like, I'll, like I always want to go to London. And I like, let's say if I had a brother or sister there in London, like, come on, that'd be pretty sweet because I have a place to stay most likely. Uh, the flight would probably be the most expensive part besides the good food that I will probably get recommended to. And you know, just like when I traveled to Alaska, all right, Alaska is a part of the United States, but it's really not part of the United States. It's not connected to the land. So it's kind of far off and they have a totally different type of cuisine out there. So when I went out there to donate, uh, the people that live there, they had told me, hey, listen, go try this place, try this place and try this place. I would have never tried these places or tried these type of foods if it wasn't for them. And I wish I had siblings uh, for in further places and um, abroad where I can actually travel and go in and try some different foods because I'm a big foodie. I love to eat. So growing up, what were your hobbies? You know, you, you didn't have your father in your life. So was it, you know, did you find fascination in cars or um, sports? You know, what was, what was your jam and, and what do you like to do outside of donating? And do you find that you have any similarities with your siblings out there? So for me, I was real big on computers. Um, in high school, I took A plus computer technician. I took web design and also I took automotive technician. While other kids are taking AP classes, I was taking electives. I don't, I don't, I don't uh, want to change none of that if I could. I like, I like my senior year exactly like how it was. Um, but I played football. Um, that was my outlet 
in life was football. I loved it. Loved the fact that I can sit there and tackle somebody and not get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I love football. Football was a great outlet for me. I did wrestling in high school, which also was a great outlet, and I loved it. And uh, um, those are some of my hobbies. I love fishing. I uh, played chess in high school. I played in three tournaments. Three tournaments. I won two first-place trophies. My last year I, I was um, with the chess team, I played second. And then after that, I stopped playing chess. <laughs> and uh, once I realized somebody else was out there better than me, I'm like, it kind of it kind of hit me in the gut because when you never lost a chess match in a tournament, you kind of you, your head is way up here thinking you're unbeatable and stuff. And also at the time, I was so naive uh, and young age to the point where I wish I did keep up with the chess. I still play a little bit here and there, but um, I wish I kept up with the chess as much as I did back then. So. You said you had your first child when you were 17 years old. Um, was that to a high school sweetheart? No. <laughs> this girl went to a different school. Uh, she was 16. I was 17 when she had gave birth. Um, soon after, I ended up getting custody of my oldest daughter. I had a full ride uh, to Williamson School for Boys for wrestling. Um, that year I was supposed to leave. Well, that summer I was supposed to leave. I had got a phone call from Child Protective Services in regards to my daughter. And basically I had to go pick up my daughter or she would end up in the system. So I put my schooling aside and took care of my child, even though I was still a child myself. And uh, my understanding is you've gone on to have three other daughters yes i got three more i got four daughters uh, my oldest is 12 my second oldest is nine my third oldest is four and my youngest is two years old and is, are you still with that same partner is that the are, you, are they all different partners uh so the first two were two different partners and my last two were by the same partner and you're still with her now, are you? No, unfortunately not. Um, me and her, uh, mm -hmm. we had a little falling out. And as much as I love my kids and want something uh, to grow as a relationship with her, uh, because she's the mother of my child, we have to part ways. Um, we just seen things too differently uh, about so many different things about life. And we just had to go our separate ways. So you're currently single? No, I'm currently, I'm, I'm engaged. Oh, wow. I mean, well. <laughs> I'm engaged. Um, I'm engaged with uh, my fiance. I've been with for uh, a little over a year and a half now. So been... you became a donor, what, a couple of years ago? Was it 2017, 2018? Was, was that around the... Uh, two years? It was like two, two and a half years ago. Yeah. So you... Like... So you're a donor and then you've met your new fiance now. Um, you know, how did you come, you know, you've, you've started donating obviously six or eight months before this, before you've met. And uh, how did you, you know, how's the conversation go when you first meet someone or when do you, when do you feel that 
in a relationship that it's time to tell people that you're a donor, like um, that you've helped create other families. Uh, you know, what, what run us through the specifics of all that. So for me, it's normally when I feel as though I want to take uh, the, this friendship a little further than just a friendship. I will uh, let them know like all of my cards. So I will let them know everything about me. And if that person choose to go further other than just this friendship, then we'll go from there. There's many times where I've told women um, before I met my fiance that I was a donor and they didn't like it. And uh, some women wanted me to stop completely. Some women uh, just said, no, you need to just limit yourself to like two more families. Um, so like in my heart, I feel as though if there is somebody out there that needs my help, I feel as though I should help them. And all because it's, it's the human thing to do is to help people. And uh, when somebody is in need and somebody needs help, and also that kind of rubbed me wrong with a lot of them. So with my fiance I have now, she's like one of the greatest people in the world. She's totally understanding. Um, like she has one of the biggest hearts I've known besides my own, obviously. but she has a huge heart. Um, like she sometimes even come out and meet the recipients with me. And, uh, and there are some recipients where we grow a friendship from and uh, like, I couldn't have asked for a better partner in this life that's, that, that fully understands me donating sperm than her. Like she fully understands it. You, you know, is it a thing, you know, for some men on here um, in America, especially and stuff like that, you know, they donate without telling their partner or their wife, you know, because they're too scared to approach it. You know, what is your advice? You know, how did you, you know, were you nervous before you told her? Do you think this could be a make or break um, thing? Um, you know, for you, how did you go about it and present it in a way that, you know, she could take it all in and, you know, right. yeah. <laughs> all right. So, yes, it is a make and break. It can make or break a relationship, hands down. Um, it's... It's you making a child with someone else. Some women feel territorial, just like us men. Uh, so when they when they hear that you have another kid somewhere, they feel jealousy. They feel intimidated. Uh, they don't like none of that. Sometimes you can find somebody who's understanding and understand the aspect of helping someone who understand the aspect of you being a donor and what a donor is, like you're not a father, you're a donor, you're helping someone else be happy, become whole, become who they believe they are. And doing that uh, from a woman's aspect, like from a woman's uh, aspect as a couple, I'm like, you should also feel that also because when you get married, you become one unit. So if your husband feels happiness from helping other people, you should feel happy also because y'all are one. 
Uh, some women don't like that though. So my best, my best advice to other guys out there, I'm like, sit down and float ideas and all the, the test the water to see if it's going to break your relationship and all like, hey, babe, I seen this story on Inside Edition. That'd be crazy if I started, I'm thinking about donating sperm and I'll see how she feels about it. And all because I never want to see someone break up over this. So see how she feels about it. And from her, from her response, if she's somewhat cool with it, slowly ease in and tell her uh, about it, about you donating sperm. And uh, I'm just very fortunate to the point where the person I'm with, she knows. Um, I try and keep or uh, at least uh, let everyone know what's going on when it happens or before it happens. So you'll never find out after the fact or let alone by someone else. And, you know, for me personally, I don't think I would ever date someone that was against sperm donation because it doesn't represent my values and morals. Uh, you know, for me to look at it and think, well, this person is against it and they are territorial, they are jealous, you know, and um, they can't see that you're doing a good deed for others. Um, you know, for me, they're three big um, aspects, and I'm sure there's others that you could sort of we can sort of delve into as well, which we, you know, we won't. But going off those three um, as a platform to look at, you know, they're, they're people that I wouldn't want to spend my whole life with if they thought that way. You know, if they were that narrow-minded, shallow-minded, it showed that they'd only care more about themselves than other people. It, You know, for me, when I look at people that I help and, they, and they're very close-minded, I don't like to help those sort of people because I feel that, you know, um, I like people that really value doing good stuff for others. And if they don't if their brain doesn't function in that sort of manner then to me it's like well i'm not really a match for you and that's fine like and you know everything everyone everyone's wired differently so there's no, no right or wrong but for me i would not see these people as people that i would sort of necessarily uh focus on helping compared to other like-minded people that come across and say you know that value these sort of these values <clears throat> So when was the point that you came across sperm donating? You know, how did that idea pop in your head? <laughs> to, to be 100% honest with you, I think, I think it was on Netflix, but it could have been somewhere else, um, like YouTube. It was a documentary in regards to sperm donating in the UK. And I'm really big on documentaries. If you ask anybody that knows me, they like, they see me watching TV, they, they automatically assume it's a documentary about something. So this documentary is about sperm donating, ironically. <laughs> and they were saying about in the UK how there is a need for sperm donors and so forth and so on, and how some women didn't like certain aspects of certain don available donors in their area, and uh, like pushy donors or strictly NI donors 
so forth and so on. So after I finished watching a documentary, I end up searching and seeing anything about the U.S. And next thing you know, I seen all of these groups about sperm donating in the U.S. And I immediately started applying and getting into these groups left and right. And, uh, um, and then from there, I just blossomed. <laughs> I ended up getting my first success, I think, like, my first or second month that was exciting um and yeah it's just been going uphill since then so you join these groups you're thinking you know all these methods and all this sort of stuff that you've been you know and then you've gone in you've jumped in the deep end you've helped someone you've got a, a success really quickly which proves to you that you know it works you said it was exciting what is the feeling of when you've you know, you first help someone or when you first meet somebody, you know, were you nervous? Did you feel nervous to begin with to start this process? Because, I mean, a lot of guys get stage fright and run away, you know, they like the idea of it and, and but they're not going ahead last minute, you know. So can you, can you remember back to those days and coach those out there that might be listening? Uh, so, so it's like, getting on a roller coaster for the first time and you're scared of heights. You got to make yourself take that first step. You got to pull that courage out and you got to move forward. Like my first time, I mean, I remember like it was yesterday. I was terrified. It was a couple that was, I think it's like an hour and a half away from me. I traveled down to them and I was petrified of going down there to donate to them because I didn't know who they were. I didn't know they're going to be killers or, or anything. Cause remember I watch a lot of documentaries and yeah, this is how people go missing. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was just really scared. And, uh, but I started to look at like, okay, Tyree, listen, we're here to help somebody, somebody in there that needs some help. Let's go help them. And uh, so I went in there to help them. And uh, even when it's, when it's, the situation can look terrifying, you got to look at what you're there for is to help someone. And, uh, and if you truly don't want to help someone, then this might not be, the, be it for you. You know, this really might not be it for you because you got to have that thrive to really want to help someone. And uh, um, so, yeah, like when I had came up from uh, Florida, to uh from when I moved Florida to Arizona there was a guy on the highway it's like 12 it's like 12 one o'clock in the, at night I'm driving on an interstate highway and there was a guy on the side of the road waving his hands with no t-shirt on <laughs> so mind you I'm an African-American guy and this guy's white I'm in a prominent white area it's super dark I don't see nothing I immediately pulled over to make sure that this guy was okay. He got in a fight with his girlfriend. His girlfriend kicked him out of the car on the side of the road. That was the that story. But some fact is that that could have ended very bad. But some fact is that I have the thrive to help someone if they need help, no matter what the situation is, no matter how scary the situation mm -hmm. is, I want to help anybody I possibly can. And in this situation where you're donating sperm, you got to look at it like, I want to help. If you truly want to help someone, 
put that first foot forward and help someone. The first, like once you get over that first step, it's smooth sailing after that. Like once you take that first step, it's smooth sailing. It, everything gets easier after the first one. Like it gets a hundred times easier after the first time you help someone. It seems when you joined, you know, a couple of years ago now, there wasn't a big, a large amount of African American men donating. You know, there seemed to be a very shortfall and you were one of the people that came across as legitimate and in it for the right reasons. What have you noticed yourself in the last couple of years of Spend the Nation? It seems like a few have recently joined uh, in light of this uh, latest uh, media exposure. Uh, you know, is there a culture thing in America where African-American men worried about donating or, you know, what's the situation with, you know, you'd be in large demand, I'd say, as well, for women wanting to use you. What is your, um, you know, what's your observation of all that? Well, we're highly in high demand. Highly in high demand. There's women of, of the same sex that are both Caucasian or both Hispanic or even... African-American, Hispanic, or African-American and African-American that wants an African-American donor to have a mixed child. Not saying, hey, listen, it, it can be a fetish or anything. It possibly can be. And all, but the simple fact is that I look at it as if it's a Caucasian and Caucasian couple, they want to have a mixed child. Together right now, we're defeating racism because now that we have a mixed child who's going to understand the aspects of, of, of the things that us African-Americans go through day to day. Um, from all these new donors that's coming in the group, I've been noticing a lot of them are like a lot of college, uh, a lot of people from college, um, they're, they have these huge uh, resumes so forth and so on. But also these people are most of the time NI only donors or they charge a significant amount thinking, hey, listen, it's a way to make money. And, uh, and that also strips a lot of what we do or why we're doing what we're doing. Um, like I'm, I'm doing, uh, I can speak for myself. I'm doing this to help people. And uh, if somebody wants to give me some money because from what I'm doing for them, sure, I won't stop you. And uh, but it's never a requirement. And uh, so when I hear about certain people charging, I'm like, that's good for them. I'm not going to be the one that charge. But since these stories came out, we've been having a lot of people charging a crazy amount for sperm. And uh, I'm like. Some of these guys' resumes, he'd be like, okay, I understand why they would charge. But like I said, the whole aspect of us being here is to help these people. And I think that's putting a stigma on the new round of recipients who's coming in and not seeing the original donors that were here and seeing all these new donors that's charging an arm and a leg. And... You said about defeating racism. 
and the and the lives that you know um, I've only seen it from afar, watching Black Lives Matter and and all that thing. So I don't really have a full full um, perspective on on all of that. You said you know obviously you're helping people have families and children, and that means a lot to you. But is there another you know is defeating um, racism uh, another aspect to it that you you think? good contribution to this cause that you're doing also that you can include include in, in make it inclusive to um, wards donating so for instance uh would you be more intrigued on help to caucasian um same-sex uh women having a mixed child because for the for the community and and uh creating diversity and acceptance is that something that appeals to you more it don't necessarily appeals to me more. Um, it appeals to me about as the same of just helping anyone. Uh, like I won't arbitrarily, like if it's a all white couple who wants this day and already had designated this day to two African-American women that are a couple, I'm not going to take that day from the African-American couple to help these two Caucasian couples to, to bring diversity into their lives and to their community and to their family. Um, so that is a, uh, two for one for me. I get to do two things doing one thing. Um, but only if I'm available. So it's not like, um, it's going to be something that thrives me to purposely help more Caucasian women. I'm more willing to help anyone and everyone, uh, no matter what your race is, there was a conversation in regards to, um, and this other group regards to white, two white women wanting a black donor. And this, this chat had probably about, I wanna say about 2000 comments within like two days. Um, and it was ridiculous because you had black recipients or some black recipients saying that they're milking off of the black people, but I'm like, how are they milking off the black people if we're going to have a, if they're going to have a mixed child? So they're bringing diversity to their family and their community. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a touchy subject when you talk to both sides of people. I'm more willing to help anyone and everyone. Um, it doesn't matter your race, your gender or your sex or what you want to call yourself, I'll support you no matter what. Um, as long as you're kind-hearted. And uh, if you feel like, if you come and feel as though I need to do this or I need to pay for pay for this test, I'm going to say, I don't think this is going to work out between us. And uh, um, help me, help me, help me help you. And, uh, but yeah. So how uh, much, I love how much is STD testing in uh, Arizona? Uh, STD testing here, if you go to the health clinic is $20. And that's a reasonable expense for um, potential recipients to cover, isn't it? Yeah, but they're, they do the standard testing. They don't do like a entire uh, broad uh, STD testing. I've been seeing a lot of women ask for CMV or HPV, um, the herpes virus. I've seen a lot of women asking for those type of tests. I'm like, 
my insurance won't cover those tests unless I feel as though I've been exposed to something like that. I don't feel as though I've been exposed to something like that. So I explained to the recipients, if you pay for the test, I'll go get it. I just had one recipient sit there and tell me like, oh, this be good for your portfolio. This is why you should charge so you can cover certain tests like this. I'm like, I'm like that defeats the whole purpose of me doing this. If I charge people, some people, you feel me, feel as though I'm taking advantage of them and won't and won't use me or or be taken advantage by somebody else who's free and pushes them into like a different method that they don't want to do. And uh, so me being so adaptable, I think that makes me so valuable. And I want to hold on to that adaptability. So if I start charging, I'll lose that. So she was trying to have me charge for a HPV test um, and a CMV test, which would have came out to like $300. I'm like, listen, you can pay for it. I, I go get the test. Just tell me which, uh, which place I need to go and get it done at. I'll go get it done. She didn't want to do it. And then she waited like almost a month to contact me again and stated, hey, listen, I'll pay for it. But by that time, I've been already rubbed wrong by the aspect of trying to force me to pay for something. I'm like, I'm here to help you. Help me help you. And how is uh, Arizona? Is there many recipients in this state? Is there, um, is there many donors in this state? Is it, is it competitive? Is, there, is, there, is the demand you know, more than the supply? How do you find it? Um, I'm pretty busy. There's a few donors out here. Um, I've been noticing a few donors that's been posted in the groups. Um, so we, we, are ha we have been very busy out here as donors, uh, say the least. I wish we had a little bit more donors to, to knock off the edge a little bit, but being the only African-American donor in Arizona, New Mexico, I wanna say Nevada, or no, I think there might be one in Nevada over by Vegas, I think. But ultimately, I'm probably like the only African-American donor in like a, a huge range, which I wish more donors would come out and, and help because sometimes I can't help women because certain days that they wanna do is booked. I just turned down a recipient literally right before this podcast because I'm booked on the day she needs me. Yeah, and it's it's a shame, isn't it? Because you can only produce so much sperm at any one point. Yeah, you know? needing a couple of days to rejuvenate, or you know, when there's too much to make people to help, and it's and it sucks that um, there isn't many people in your area that you know you that could take that burden off you. So you feel that you're not letting people down. It's interesting to analyze it in that way. That the sad part about donating is is you can't help everyone in your area and you do rely on that network of people um, who represent similar values and, and morals around you that you can rely on and say, hey, use this other guy or use this other African-American. He may not be busy and you don't have that choice. It's um, that option at the moment, it seems. You've helped Caucasian women. You know, have many come to you and they've said, Tyree, I'd really like an African-American donor but I'm worried about how my father or someone in the family might perceive them. Is, is, that, is that sort of an issue in American society? Um, 
I think to the point where it is, but it's something that it's not spoken on. Like I wanna I wanna wish that everyone's family receive mixed kids with open arms. I, I wanna believe that. But in this world we live in, things are still stuck from the past, unfortunately. And you do have people that have biases. They may not seem like they have biases um, and may see that a mixed child is a bastard child, unfortunately. And, uh, and that's bad. That's bad to, to think in this type of society that we live in. And, uh, but sadly to say, um, there are some people out there that that has family members where they have mixed kids and they don't accept them fully. So you, you mentioned earlier you traveled to Alaska. Has there been other places that people have asked you to come and go and donate? Um, and how was that experience? And how do you organize the logistics of timing and getting over there? And how long, whereabouts did you stay? You know, um, did they put up a hotel? Did you stay with them? You know, uh, explain that experience. So I've traveled literally all over the U.S. last year. Last year, I probably clocked in probably about 30 to 35,000 miles in the air. (laughs) All right. In the air, I clocked about 30 to 35,000 miles in the air. And sometimes it was like a four-day trip. Alaska was an entire week. It was an entire seven days. Freaking loved it. Been to Boston. North Carolina, Virginia, I've been to Missouri, Ohio, Washington, uh, California, Vegas, you name it, I've been there. I even been to Florida donating while I was out there seeing my kids. The people helped pay for my tickets to go out there. And uh, so that helped out a lot. And uh, so, so when I travel, I will need confirmation of the flights and the hotel room before I confirm that you're in the calendar. And I would need that at least two to three weeks prior of the actual trip to make sure that you're serious about this. And because as a donor, you know that a lot of women flake. That is something that's not necessarily talked about in, in the community about how women don't show up or follow through, you'll hear more about donors not following through. And, uh, but the aspect of women not following through is kind of high. And a lot of women say, oh, I want you to travel and never, nothing never follows through or nothing never manifests from that. And uh, so I try and make sure that I get confirmations from people like a confirmation of a hotel room, a confirmation on my plane ticket, um, at least two weeks prior, and then I'll book them. But obviously, if I'm traveling, we've been talking for a little bit, and it's not like on the whim, like you hit me up today and say, oh, I can you travel tomorrow or the next day? No, I won't do that. And I, even if I am available to do that, I won't do that because some fact is, I need some communication to make sure that everything is copacetic. And even though I do travel 
on like their they buy the ticket, they pay for the hotel room or the Airbnb. I still have to make sure that I have enough money to the point where if anything happens, I can buy myself a plane ticket. I can pay for my Uber ride to the airport. I can pay for a hotel room for the night. I can pay for all of that. So I make sure I have enough to for for everything myself before I even do the trips, just as a safety precaution. So run it through us. What don what donation methods do you do or make yourself available to for? Oh, I do all methods. Um, AI, NI, and PI. Uh, majority of all my donations have been AI. I've done a PI, which was extremely awkward. Uh, I've done several NIs uh, throughout the my donating career. And elaborate on the uh, the awkwardness of, of the PI. It sounds like an intriguing story. <laughs> Trust me, it it really is. So. Uh, so this one lady, we're, we've been talking for a little bit. Uh, her and her wife wants to have a child. We had discussed PI um, because um, how her cervix is. She had went to a fertility doctor and he said uh, natural would be the best option, but they had explained what PI was to the fertility doctor. And the doctor said, well, that, that seemed like it would it work pretty good. Did she have a uh, inverted cervix? I'm not exactly sure what was the uh, the exact uh, wording, but that sounds somewhat familiar. It's all about how her her cervix was set up. It it was recommended that it was natural. And, yeah, uh, and uh, just to touch on uh, for people listening, it's because uh, a syringe doesn't curve and bend around you know around to where it needs to go. Whereas, uh, you know, a penis, it, it can curve to the shape of the women's cervical tunnel to reach to reach and deposit where it needs to go. So if you're sticking in uh, with a straight syringe, you could be hitting, you know, a back wall that isn't going to go to where it needs to go to inseminate. And yes, I've heard uh, many doctors um, advise that you know, a syringe wouldn't be good for them. Anyway, uh, sorry, Tyree, continue continue with that story. I just had to do it. Okay, it's okay. To touch on that topic that you're talking about also, um, like a lot of people talk down on the aspects of NI and PI because they think us men just want to get laid on the aspects of not even thinking about the aspects of that when a man ejaculates, it is shot with, with great amount of energy behind it to help it get to where it gotta go. Um, but that's something that a lot of women don't never really think about at all. But um, back on the, the PI topic. So we had talked about it and they had said their doctor wanted them to do natural, like recommended for them to do natural um, so we had discussed the PI method. So <laughs> I have a spare bedroom in my house. Um, so it has a bathroom attached to it. And my fiance, she's cool with it. Like I said, she's extremely understanding. I love this woman. Um, so we go in the room 
So obviously the lights are off to help with some awkwardness. Her girl is going down on her while my girl went down on me while, while, so she's getting ready to climax and my girl is helping me get to my point. Uh, yeah, just say that everybody was sitting there waiting on me. So <laughs> talk about working under pressure. It was just, it was just a different, different situation that was going on where I'm not so used to it. As a donor, I've donated in cups many, 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 many times. But how many times can donors say that they were sitting in a room with a recipient and her wife sitting there going down on her while your old lady is in that same room with y'all going down on you? Like that is a lot of pressure, a lot of awkwardness, but we end up making it work and all, uh, but it was just new, it was different. And do you, you know, do you think that some women that didn't know you or didn't know what you're thinking would just go, oh, that would be every man's dream. But the, you know, when, when you're trying to, and the purpose is to conceive a baby, is it, you know, you, you do feel that pressure, you know, it's something that it's, it's only been put together for creating a baby it's not just like you all got drunk and uh and then things led to, one thing led to another and the next thing you're you know there's four people in a bedroom together yeah so <laughs> like you would think that would be a man's dream like are you kidding me like you have a you have a chance to sit there and watch it happen while your girl is going on you and you still get to put it in and uh so being the aspect of me not necessarily getting the sexual pleasure of helping people. Even when I donate naturally, it's not a sexual pleasure for me because I'm doing a task. It's like a job. And you got to be able to dictate and separate the two to not make it more than what it is. And uh, so with all of that pressure, like how I felt that pressure was, is like, I'm helping someone. Um, I'm not getting no sexual satisfaction. All right, I am, I'm getting a, a, a BJ, um, but I'm like, I, it's still me getting a BJ to the point for the whole purpose and the subject is for me to do this. And uh, so, does it help? Yeah. But is it like amazing? No, because the whole aspect of what the sub, like what the, what the goals are for, for us doing this. And, uh, and you got to be able to dictate the two. Unfortunately, I probably worded that a little wrong, but um, you got to be able to separate the two. And I can separate the two between sexual pleasure and helping someone sexually do you feel that some people don't have the the mental i wouldn't say maturity but the um yeah that ability not to be able to separate the two whereas they just think you know for me now i think you know if you if anyone wants to go have sex there's there's um there's prostitutes there's tinder we live in a social network now that is so widely available that when you look at 
the purpose of creating the baby. It's probably the least, uh, you know, romantic or um, exciting because, you know, it's 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 being put together with a bit of awkwardness because uh, you're, you're dealing with a new person and and they might be nervous and uh, you know you know it's for conception rather than you two uh, having a, a lust for each other. Yeah, um, there's so many options for a man to get laid. Like, there are so many options. And women look at every guy who say that they're NI or PI or or, or only want to do NI or PI or, or offers NI or PI is strictly trying to get laid. Sometimes that may be true. And I, like I said, I can't speak for everyone. I can speak for myself. Sometimes that can be true, but majority of the guys, I think, are just strictly trying to help. Like, I'm I'm to the point where in my life where I'm happy of the type of relationship I have with my girl, and I'm freaky. I'm freaking happy about that. And sexually, I'm I see sex as like playing golf or or playing a video game or going for a swim. And uh, it's fun, but you don't get lost in it. You don't you don't allow it to to take over you. You don't get sucked into it too much. Have you found that uh, any any recipients have fallen in love or become attached through that connection? Um so my first and I, my first and I say the least that uh, afterwards uh, we, we had a discussion. We had a talk because we both weren't like emotionally. We, we both were somewhat, I want to say, not secure at that moment emotionally as in like with a significant other so we did have a discussion in regards to that um <laughs> but uh yeah we both like I said we had the discussion and both talked about hey listen um we need to we need to talk about this and we both came to the decision of we got we're going to keep things as a professional relationship afterwards and uh so we still talk and all uh, we still chat a little bit here and there and all, but it's all professional. And uh and truthfully, I wouldn't change it. <laughs> and all uh, like our type our relationship, I love. And uh, like if I have a situation that's going on or uh, with life or lifestyle, whatever, she's there to talk to me. Uh we get to communicate, just like a mentor a little bit. And all like just with general life skills, and also it's I'm kind of happy that things did turn out the way they did, because if they went opposite or went a different direction, who knows? What would you say to women considering natural insemination? You know, uh, you know, everyone's probably got this fear of the awkwardness and stuff. You know, is there any tips that you have that would help relax the situation? Uh, you mentioned lights off before. 
you know, is there anything that you you run through, or do you go for a checklist of um, things that are on and off the cards in terms of, as you said, maybe a BJ or something like that? What's what's um what would your advice be in sort of uh, trying to make it feel as uh, you know not as daunting as possible? Uh, well, for starters, I would say go out and and go out like not necessarily have a date, but go out and meet. Like majority of my recipients, no matter what the method is, like AI or NI, um, like if they're local, I try and meet them prior of actually donating. So we'll go out and grab, we'll go out and grab a coffee or something so we can discuss things and uh, um, talk things through. Um, like if it's an NI recipient, do's or don'ts, you know, things we I'm allowed to do, things I'm not allowed to do. And all because at the end of the day, I don't want to make nobody uncomfortable. Remember, uh, the, the more, more comfortable the recipient is, the more relaxed she is, the more her body responds to the, to the sperm and opens her up a little bit more openly for the sperm. So you try and make things as relaxing as possible during this huge, awkward situation. And uh, But being said that, everyone has had a at least a one night stand or a little fling that went on you basically got to treat this exactly like that and uh, obviously you didn't go through the countless text messages or sexting or in picture sharing you didn't go through all of that you just basically talked about a date a time do's and don'ts uh and like basically uh, where it's going to go down at. You know, you don't talk about necessarily certain acts. And uh, like I've had some recipients who said they don't do no oral or I've had recipients offer oral the first shot. Like that was like, like, hey, listen, do you want me to do this? Like I'm cool doing this right now to start it. And uh, just to break the awkwardness of us doing this. And uh, but everyone is different. You just got to find out what, what is your kink? Like if you like, um, like if you like foreplay, foreplay is a huge plus and on also warms everyone up. So when you actually do the intercourse aspect, it, it goes a lot more smoother. It's not as awkward. Um, everyone is intense. So I've noticed foreplay being a huge plus but sometimes that is sometimes off the table when you're dealing with a couple sometimes there's one couple who uh took foreplay well not necessarily foreplay mm-hmm. but oral both sides of the spectrum off the table so no giving nor receiving off the table which mm-hmm. is somewhat understanding and uh because they're they're feeling though that's a little bit too intimate mm. So, in your experience now, um, you, you're happy happily to donate in any method. Uh, you don't push your method on to anyone. Um, but from your own personal point of view, is there a method that's more successful? Have you noticed that? So, you go look at percentage of how many times I've tried one method and how many successes I've had. Obviously, NI is going to yield... Uh, more of a success rate 
Um, because the simple fact is that I do it significantly less. Um, Study-wise, it's better. Um, it's, a, it's a higher success rate. I, I probably would have a million women sitting here and argue with me all day in regards to that right now by saying that. But look at the studies compared to natural and art, which was it's done by a doctor. Understand art is slightly different than at-home insemination, but also those art is done by a doctor. <laughs> so I'm like, something that's done in the medical field and something done at home, you cannot put on the same spectrum. And I've been seeing a lot of people put those two on the same spectrum, saying that uh, they're the same or at home is better, saying that there isn't no study out in regards to it. I'm like, well, do you want your plumbing or your electrical done by a professional or, or a crackhead around a corner type thing? And uh, like, let's put these on like, like the same type of levels here. I'm like, someone who really don't know too much, know a little bit, your house can burn down from electrical fire or get it done by a licensed electrician and you don't have to worry about it and you'll go most likely with a licensed electrician. So why wouldn't you say that the, the, the doctor who's doing art isn't more, <laughs> more uh, have, a, uh, have a higher success rate than someone doing it by themselves? There's so much error that can be caused. A sperm being in the air, sperm being in the light, uh, sperm sitting too long, is so many different aspects of of human error that can be caused doing it at home has has doing it at home yield a lot of children in this community yes i totally agree but again if you try it a million times <laughs> i'm saying you're going to do if you try ai a million times you're going to probably get a higher success rate with that compared to doing ni 20 times the percentage wise, we look at percentage wise of how many times you tried, obviously NI will be higher, but if you look at overall numbers, there's going to be more successful AI recipients Just compared to NI recipients because you'll have a lot more AI recipients doing AI than NI. Not saying one is better than the other. Well, technically speaking, I am saying one is better than the other, but I'm saying, I'm like, come on now. Yeah, you, you can, uh, there's a lot of human error. Since we introduced the uh, speculum into some of the kits, uh, which allowed, you know, obviously the opening and to be able to see where the cervix is and their partner to be able to inseminate right under cervix, we've actually seen a massive increase in um, artificial insemination uh, successes, which, you know, which from that really explains that a lot of the women were just putting the syringe in and putting it, uh, you know, just anywhere that wasn't necessarily hitting where it needed to go. Uh, and so, yeah, placement of the sperm is very um, crucial because the, uh, the vagina is, can be uh, very uh, acidic. So going straight onto the cervic, cervix wall with the cervical mucus right there it can uh, allow them to get in safely. And, uh, you know, the more in there, the more chance of... Uh, swimming and reaching that egg and uh, then hoping it sticks to the uterine wall and then a baby starts growing and it's not a, 
Um, you know, so there's so many factors that come into play. Uh, okay, so when did you start shipping? That's another method that you've uh, started to begin, I understand. I started shipping, I started to dad into shipping like my first like six months. I've had recipients message me like, hey, do you ship? I'm like, listen, I never shipped before. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, okay, well, they, they'll, some recipients walk me through it. And that's how I slowly started to ship. Even after that, I was getting bad information by some recipients. Um, so my yield on shipping in the beginning uh, was very scarce, <laughs> to say the least. And now uh, when you have recipients say after, like I would send like four vials of, of sperm from recipients saying, oh, just freeze it, put in your freezer. After I, after I did one, I put in your freezer, it'll be fine. And uh, through through a couple days, like through a couple days of me donating, uh, me storing the sperm, like uh, collecting the sperm and, and mixing it and freezing it, mixing it and freezing it over a, a course of two to three days. Uh, because mind you, I didn't know <laughs> at the time of what I did, of what to do. Now I sit back and look at it. I'm like, wow, I can't believe I really did this. I can't believe how wrong I really was, but this is going off of information from other people who were probably in the same boat with me. We were ill-informed, ill-informed on the shipping process, and uh, and as I start to to hone in on my shipping skills and actually understand the full aspects of shipping, success started to roll in, and uh, from shipping, and I'm excited about it. And uh, I just wish that it yielded more, obviously shipping, you have a, even a, a lower percentage rate of a success, but you still have something. And now uh, like, you might have a better chance at, you know, you, you have a better chance of getting pregnant than hitting the lottery, but it's not too far off. So would you say shipping is sort of the last draw? Would you rather a woman say travel to you or you travel to them and donate AI or, or any other method? Do you feel that shipping is like the lowest percentage, but there is a chance if you do it right? And do you feel that there's a uh, uh, heavily involved uh, user error um, from the donor side and also the recipient side? Um. I always recommend traveling if traveling is about the same as shipping. Like I've had some recipients in Las Vegas. I'm only like four hours from Vegas. Only thing I ask for them to cover my gas round trip is, which is about 80 bucks, 80 to a hundred dollars and a hotel room. Uh, so we, let's say the hotel room you pay, anywhere from 60 to $80 a night, that's rounded up $100, that's $200. You pay me another $80, that's $280 from hotel and gas. Compared to 250, it costs for a shipping kit and, and overnight shipping. So you look at that cost, like obviously fresh would be a lot better. Also, you'll get multiple donations you'll get a donation when i get there you'll get a donation the next day and the day before i leave so that's three fresh donations 
you would get while I'm there. Mind you, they're fresh. So it ain't nothing better than fresh, obviously. If somebody loves seafood or sushi, they'll, they understand fresh is always better. And uh, sometimes things when they're shipped, they're not that great. But when they come right out of the water, listen, <laughs> ain't nothing like it. Do you feel that the people that insist on shipping, uh, are they scared? You know, have they got a paranoia that the donor is going to be a murderer that, or they just don't want that face-to-face interaction? Is that the reason why the only logical uh, by means of doing that, that method? So I don't understand why some recipients are strictly stuck on to shipping. Um, like last month, I had one recipient who wanted me to ship over and over and over again, like within like a, a week periods of time. And we're talking about $250 a shot. And I'm um, like, at this point, you could have sent me over to you could have flown me over to you, paid for the hotel room. You'd have probably paid another $150 more, but you would have had a significant higher chance of pregnancy compared to what we're doing now. And uh, sometimes women need to understand the percentage rates. And I think women don't understand that. They look at, oh, people get pregnant by shipping. This person has a lot of shipping success. Yeah, and... Shipping sometimes can be a little easier with my work schedule, and uh, but ultimately the best option is always going to be fresh. And soon as the recipients understand that their percentage rate drops tremendously, like half to to more than half of fresh, it's significant. Like they will understand. All right, well, listen, if I can increase my chances of pregnancy 50% from shipping or more than 50% from shipping, you'll have a lot more women lying to their donors or, or having their donors travel to them or looking for a local donor, just knowing that the yield is 50% plus from ship to fresh. How many children have been born from your donations that you know of? currently that's actually born actually born and then we'll talk to about how many are on the way where that in like talk i mean born and or on the way oh you can do both we'll talk about both uh well at 17 total so we're at 17 total i want to say one two three four five I, I want to say about six or seven are, is born already. I want to just say that about six or seven are already born. I got two more that's due. No, three more that's due next month. I got three due next month. Um, one of my, like when I was in Florida, one of my recipients had gave a day to another recipient because she wasn't her her uh, levels wasn't like peak or high. So she, um, I had talked to her and she had said, it's okay for me to give that day to a different recipient. So the other recipient had one day and both recipients are pregnant. They're both in that same cycle. They're both, they, they're gonna, from, from what everything is projected, they're supposed to have their child on the same exact day. Have and you I think that's neat. 
Have you noticed any like uh, times in the year, say autumn, summer, spring, winter, like that there seems to be more babies born um, or is it just completely random? I've seen a flux around, I want to say September, October, November. I've seen a flux of women wanting to be pregnant around that time, a lot more than any other time. Um, but I want to say January, surprisingly, was one of my most busiest months by far. Since I've been donating, January has been one of the most busiest, busiest times. But also, I, I normally book out like two to three months ahead of time because how, how busy I am, I have women booking me out further out further out like if i'm not available their cycle this month they're like okay well my calendar is projecting that i'm ovulating around this time and normally my test lines up with this um the calendar i want to say put these days down for me and i have i've been having people go two maybe even three months in advance because i'm booked out that far out from them and my understanding is you've got your first set of twins on the way. Yes, that was extremely exciting. So this couple, they come up from uh, about, I want to say, an hour and a, about hour and a half, two hours south in Sara Vista, Arizona. It's like right off the border. Um, they came up. I gave them one donation. Um, they did it in the car and drove the hour and a half, two hours back down there. And they end up becoming pregnant. They found out, I want to say two days after Christmas that they were pregnant. And they just found out, I want to say about four or five days ago that they were having twins. And I'm just amazed of that. I understand that us men, we have no bearing on the aspects of twins. But the simple fact is that, hey, listen, my sperm help a woman have twins. It's like, is it? It's like a excitement. I'm like, I'm happy. Like, I'm, I'm even more happy now. I got, they all have two bundles of joy instead of one, and uh, so it's like a double accomplishment when you do one thing. Mm, no, it's uh, you know, twins are always uh, an interesting thing. You know, you see twins in a, a supermarket, the mum with the double pram pushing around and, and, and everyone's head always you know, always turns to her and go, oh, she's, you know, got two babies. Whereas, you know, you walk down a, a shopping mall or something like that and you'll see a pram and you, you don't even take it in. Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, look, yeah, it's, it's something that is um, incredible and uh, I've yet to experience that as a donor myself. Um, but, yeah, I'm sure it would be a good feeling um, uh, unless the woman was really like, holy shit, how am I going to cope with two? <laughs> uh, but anyway, Tyree, it was, um, you know, we could talk for hours, but it's probably getting late where you are. Uh, thanks for coming on and uh, sharing some wisdom, some stories. Uh, I think we covered um, a lot of sort of stuff that we haven't really touched on previously in the podcast before. And, uh, yeah, it was a pleasure to have the chat with you today. Thank you for having me. No worries. We'll see you around. Have a good one. You too. Ciao.